If I've not met you before, I'm Jen. It's really nice to see your faces. Um, it would be even nicer to have a conversation. Um, here we are again in 2 Timothy. So we have, this is the fourth week that we're looking at 2 Timothy. Here we are again in this story. So in case you have missed the last three and you're not exactly sure the context, so we're in this story where Paul, very famous church planter, you know, wrote a lot of the New Testament. Paul is in prison, not the nice kind, in chains, probably with the likelihood of execution hanging over him. He's writing a letter to Timothy, who he's kind of trained up as a leader and invested in and mentored over the years, begging Timothy to stick it out, to hold firm to faith, even though Timothy can also see where sticking with faith has led Paul the potential consequences of really sticking out and really holding to this faith. There are no new plot points in today's passage. We have six verses, and uh, I'm here to tell the same story that John told three weeks ago, that then Bob, and then Jack. We have just six new verses today, and what do I possibly have to add to this story? We might all be wondering. And I have certainly wondered that in the last week or two. And this is, this is quite a hard story to sit in, really, if we think about it. It's a story about someone who is really suffering, probably at the end of their life, and suffering because, directly because of believing in Jesus. It's, it's very far away from our context in Exeter in 2023. Although, of course, there are thousands of Christians in the world today, this very moment, for whom this is a lot closer to home. Globally, Christian persecution is higher now than at any time known in the last 2,000 years. And there are amazing organizations, I'm sure some of you will know, Open Doors, Release International, who support those Christians, who know their names, who know what they look like, who pray for them, who support them, as they are being tortured, suffering, facing execution. And I think that sitting in this story of Paul suffering in this way for the gospel has to confront us with some, some deep and some dark questions. Could I do that? Could I endure prison, suffering, even execution because of Jesus, because of what I believe about him? And would I? Could I? Would I? We can't keep sitting in this story without being confronted by how much Paul loved Jesus. How firmly he was holding on to Jesus, more convinced than ever of who Jesus is, of how Jesus changes everything and how nothing as, is as important. Not for a second does, does Paul present this to Timothy just as his personal choice. You know, Timothy, I've decided that for me, personally speaking, that Jesus is worth this, worth imprisonment and execution. But Timothy, you do you. You work it out for yourself. You might even think that in this situation that Paul's instinct would be to warn Timothy. You know, think really carefully about this, Timothy. Really think carefully. The stakes are really high. The consequences are huge. 
you might want to keep quiet about it for a while because look where it's got me. But Paul doesn't do any of that, does he? This is everything to Paul. This is likely the end of his life, likely his last letter. And to the end, he's begging Timothy, stay true to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Be all in. Hold fast to him. Focus on Jesus. Focus on this story, this gospel. It has to be shared. It is for others as well. It cannot be chained up. It cannot be silenced. It mustn't end here. Even though it could lead Timothy to the same fate as Paul. I wonder if you saw um, this week that uh, Tim Keller died. Um, I'm guessing some of you know that. Um, uh, Tim Keller, I'm sure many of you know who he is, but maybe not all. He, is a church, he was a church leader in New York um, and a famous Bible teacher. He was 72 when he died this week. And he, he really, really loved Jesus. Um, and I'll tell you a secret. Whenever I am preaching about the Bible here, anywhere else. The first thing that I do is that I go to the online archive of Tim Keller's sermons and I find if he has ever preached on the passage that I'm preaching on and if he has, I listen to it and I take notes. That is the very first thing that I do. Uh, now, his theology isn't exactly the same as mine. We disagree on a good few things, but um, I realized this week when I read about his death, the impact that he's had on me over the years, not just because of his really extraordinary Bible teaching, and he really was gifted, but also because of his integrity and how he lived, his humility, and most of all, his really deep love for Jesus. You couldn't listen to a talk that he did and not be convinced this man really, really believes that Jesus changes everything. I should say that I couldn't find any, any Tim Keller sermons on today's passage, so he hasn't been able to help me today. Um, but there's something, isn't there, about someone who really goes the distance, who has really walked the talk, who's, who's got to the end of their life and is still saying that. He's still saying Jesus really does change everything. I don't know how old Paul was when he was executed, probably not 72 like, like Keller, but he also wasn't some young, enthusiastic, slightly naive preacher without much life experience. And somehow he also wasn't an old hand who'd been around the block a few times and got a bit cynical and maybe rolled their eyes when the young youngsters talked with so much passion about giving your whole life for Jesus. No, Paul and Tim Keller, they, they held fast to Jesus. Their love for him grew. Their dependence on him grew. And as we read again more verses in which Paul is holding firm, holding on to Jesus for all he's worth, more convinced than ever that this is it, this really matters, that Jesus changes everything, maybe this passage has to make us ask, how firmly are we holding on to Jesus right now? Although, when I hear that question, I get nervous because... I don't know, I imagine holding tightly onto something. Maybe the way a scared child holds onto their mother's hand. Or the way that we might all hold on to something if we were afraid we might fall. 
I picture my hands tensing and tiring and shaking and feeling like I can't maintain that grip. I can't hold on that tightly. I can't, I don't have that much strength in me. Because it's fear that makes us hold on for dear life with that kind of tension, gives us that vice-like grip. And we can't live like that, can we? And I, and, and I don't think Jesus wants us to live like that, with that intensity of like fear-filled grip. Tim Keller once said, the central basis of Christian assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably his heart is set on us. Isn't that beautiful? As we hold on to him, actually, all the strength and power comes from him, not us. It's not about what we can work up. It's not about how we can will our faith into being like super strong. It's like this image of a child and a parent, a child whose hand is holding on to their parent's hand, not out of terror, but love and a sense of belonging, holding securely onto someone that they know they can totally trust. But as we hold on to him, he meets us with the unshakable grip. And that perhaps is, is, is maybe the real story of Paul's steadfastness and these intense, life-threatening situation, his ability to endure. His hand was firmly in somebody else's strong grip. And I have that same image in my mind, that um, image of belonging, when I read at the start of this, this passage today, where, where Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering. It's an odd phrase, isn't it? My gospel, this is my gospel. Um, as if it's almost something personal, like this is my gospel. You've got yours. John's got his. Um, something he's come up with himself, like, yeah, like we will make, make up our own version. But, but I think what Paul is saying echoes that image of a child holding on to their parent's hand. Like, this, this is my gospel. Like, this is my family. This is the gospel. This is the story that I belong to that tells me who I am. This is not the gospel invented by me or... Um, made up by me but but shared with me offered to me entrusted to me I find myself in this story I belong to it we belong to this story to something more beautiful and more powerful and more transformative than any kind of strategy for life we might come up with ourselves this is the gospel that we as a church as a community belong to and, and that's one of the reasons I love communion that we've just taken together. Because when we, when we take communion, it's a kind of ritual we do together where we all, for, no matter what the week is we've had, no matter where our heads are, you know, we all, if we choose, come back to Jesus, to this story of him dying and rising to life. And we say, yes, yes, this is who I am. This is what I belong to. None of us is bigger than that story or cooler than that story. This is where we belong. This is the gospel that makes sense of our lives. And what is this gospel? So what is this gospel that, that Paul says is mine? I belong to it. I'm holding fast to it. It is worth everything. I'm even facing the possibly dying for it. What is that gospel? Is that a no-brainer to ask in a church? 
What is the gospel? I'm hoping a lot of us think we know what it is. Because, because I think we're here because we've chosen to make it the center and bedrock of our lives. But do we, do we know it and live it to the extent that we can share it, that we could explain it to someone? I don't know if you remember a few months ago, um, Jo did something where she got some, a different person up at the front um, each week to like <laughs> role play a, uh, you know, a kind of a conversation on the bus. The actress in me obviously desperately wanted to do that and to enter fully into it. Um, but, um, and she asked this, the, the kind of question, like, how would you share the gospel? Like if you had, you know, one minute on the bus, if, if that was all that you had. So, yeah, do we have it at the forefront of our minds? Could we do that? How easy or difficult would that be for all of us? Well, I've taken this question very personally this week. Um, and it's partly because, like I'm sure many of you, the work that I do, I, I can't really share the gospel in a, in a verbal way in, in really the context where I work. I'm a therapist. I can't sit there with my clients and, um, and tell them the gospel. It, it would be considered unethical. I would be struck off the register of, um, of therapists. But I've sat with this question all week. What is it and how would I put it into words? Because I don't get to do it very often. There are contexts, obviously, where I can, but, but I don't get to do it a lot. What would I say? Because this story, Paul was so compelled to sharing it. And it was so threatening to so many people, to the authorities and the empire, that, that he would have been executed to it. And, and people are still sharing this story today and being imprisoned and executed for it. So, so what is this good news that I am living and, and how would I share it? Because I wouldn't use the same words as Paul. I don't speak Greek is part of the problem. But I also would just use different language, language from today, language from my world, my experience. Um, I would probably use different words for different people and in different situations. But that's not a get-out clause. I'm actually going to try to do it now. I didn't get a chance with Jo when she was doing it a few months ago, so I've created my own opportunity. I'm not going to pretend I'm on a bus, but I am going to try to communicate the gospel that I belong to and I believe. I think it's an invitation. It's two hands. Jesus' hands. Holding out to you, to me, something simple and beautiful. Something that will save your life. It's water in the desert when you've given up hope of ever drinking again. It's something that's given to you freely. Something that can make things right. The only thing, in fact, that can. And at the same time, it's something costly and precious and something profound and layered and complicated and something whose depths we will never fully be able to wrap our minds around. The gospel changes everything. Jesus changes everything. And I can say that because he has changed my life in the most profound ways. It means that I know that I am loved deeply and desperately and unshakably. And this love has seen my ugliest thoughts, my cruelest behavior, my greediest longings, and the shallowness of the things that I give my attention to. And it has not flinched. It has not looked away for a moment. I am forgiven. I'm made new every single day 
There is hope for me. There is hope for this world, this universe, and there is change afoot. It means I know that I belong, that I've been adopted into a family permanently, and I am a child of God. I have hope. I have a future, not just here for my life now, but and however long I live, but beyond that, in ways that are beyond my ability to imagine or, or, or even describe or make sense of, I have a place in God's house, in God's future, when God makes all things right and there is a renewed earth. The gospel means good news that has changed everything about my life. But, but what is this good news? I think this good news is that, that God has come close. God has become a person, a man, Jesus, so that we could see what God was really like, what he really cared about. And he showed us the kind of world when he lived on this earth, the kind of world that he is building, the kind of world that he wants for us, for all of us, one where people are included and healed, where they're not tied up by religion and judged and excluded, where people are set free, they're forgiven, they are reunited and restored into community and relationship. And when Jesus was here on earth doing all of that, and people just wanted to be with him, didn't they? You know, all the stories we have of Jesus have been being followed by crowds because people just, maybe they couldn't understand it. Maybe they didn't know what to do with it, but they wanted to be close to it. They wanted to, to, to be near it and to experience it. And yet at the same time, we, could, we couldn't deal with it. We didn't know what to do with it. He wouldn't play our games. We couldn't tolerate him. He challenged us, our whole society, our whole world so profoundly that we had him executed we killed God and God let us kill him let us have our way endured the full force of our selfishness our fear our violence our apathy even but then in this miracle that set the whole universe reeling, God came back to life. Jesus came back to life. And, and it's a ludicrous thing to say, isn't it? Like, people don't come back from the dead after three days. Like, it's an astonishing thing to believe. And it's impossible. But the whole idea of resurrection somehow hasn't blown over in all the thousand years since it happened. Instead, millions of us have believed it and discovered it to be true. Jesus showed us that he could not be defeated or destroyed by death, by the, by the very worst of us, by everything thrown at him, the weight of everything. He showed us that he was stronger than all of it. And he showed in his resurrection what he wants for all of us and what he has the power to offer all of us to step into that story to die to the very worst parts of ourselves, all that we've tried to accomplish on our own, all our failures, all our inadequacies, the destruction we have wreaked on ourselves, on our planet, on one another, all our brokenness, our inability to live up to our promise and to choose instead a life in Jesus, a relationship, a new birth, a belonging Stopping believing in our capacity to change ourselves and the world, but in what he can do, what he has shown himself capable of doing. 
to surrender. To believe in what he's done and to say, yes, I want that to be my story. Thank you for the price you paid. Thank you for your surrender and your miraculous resurrection. Thank you for wanting me to be a part of that story too. And this story, this gospel that that I have embraced, that I have tried my best to put into words for you, I've barely scratched the surface of its power and its beauty, its complexity. I'm trying really hard to live it, to receive it again as a gift that it is every day, to share it, to allow myself to be transformed by it, to surrender my ambitions and my plans and the things I'd really like to be able to buy, my desires to this instead. And yet it's so much more enormous than I can even start to understand. Paul writes that he is enduring this suffering and imprisonment for the sake of the elect, for the sake of other believers, that they too may obtain the salvation in Jesus. Because he knows as well that this isn't just about him, this isn't just about what he is holding on to for himself, that there are consequences for other people. Others are watching and are noticing whether he holds on and gives up. New believers are watching him. Those who are deciding whether or not they want to follow Jesus at all for the first time. Those who have their own struggles and doubts and don't know if they can keep going. Even those who are trying to break Paul, who are trying to, to, to get him to recant, to prove to him and everything that this isn't real, that this doesn't matter, that it can just be demolished by the empire like everything else. Because you can't look and see someone in that situation and not judge them by whether or not they hold on. Is this gospel really worth the trouble? Is it worth the pain? Is it worth the inconvenience, the cost, the ridicule, the humiliation? Is it? Is anything? And Paul says, yes, yes, yes it is. And I want everyone to see and know that and to take strength from that and courage from it because it is worth it. Not for one moment do I not believe that it is worth it. Our passage today finishes with these words. Paul says, this is a good saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. In Jesus, I think these verses are saying, we find real life. And we put to death our old lives. That's that decision that we make at the start. In Jesus, if we keep our hand in his If we endure and trust his strength, we have a future, we have a hope, a future in a renewed creation and a promise that Jesus will lead us there. God will never force us to stay. And if we reject him, he will let go. But nothing, nothing can shake 
his unfathomable love and faithfulness to us. And nothing is worth more. Finally, when I started to prepare this talk, and I realized that Tim Keller would not be able to help me as he usually could, I found this beautiful quotation from the theologian and church leader, Beekner. And these are the words that have stayed with me and the challenge that I want to leave you and me with. And now, brothers, I will ask you a terrible question. And God knows I ask it also of myself. Is the truth beyond all truths, beyond the stars, just this? That to live without him is the real death. That to die with him is the only life.